All right. Yeah, God has been amazingly kind this year. Um, it's the first time I've seen that. And just to to think about all that God has done in and through this church this year is, is a rich and a deep privilege. And I'm deeply thankful to God for all that he's done. Um, he's been so kind to us. Um, at this time of the year, it's um, really natural to begin to reflect on what this year was like for us and to begin to look ahead to a new year. And um, depending on our point of view, um, that could either be colored by our own perspective or we can share God's perspective. So we're going to look at uh, the the entire book of Second Timothy in a good way that you could um, kind of summarize this book is to remember. Um, this is Paul's last letter. These are in essence, his dying words to his protege, Timothy. Um, and there are some things that he wants Timothy to know and to live in the good of. And I think as we look at and evaluate our own stories, as we look at 2018, both the joy and the sorrow, the pain and the pleasure, all of those things, there's a perspective that God wants us to share and to enter into. He wants us to be able to understand our stories um, from his perspective. And to do that, we're going to begin looking at the book of Second Timothy, and I'm going to begin in chapter 1. I'm going to start by reading verses 3 through 10. Second Timothy 3, 1, 3 through 10. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers, Night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we get to marvel at his appearing and long for his return. Thank you for all that this week has represented. I pray that you would help us in these moments to remember and reflect well. I pray that you would help us to move away from our own faulty interpretations of life and that we would be able to process life in the way that you have called us to do as we remember who you are and who you have called us to be as your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So I love the book of 2 Timothy. It's something that I often reflect on. It is one of Paul's, it is Paul's last letter. It is his reflections on what life and ministry is all about. And just because these are his last words, there is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of passion. Um, There is a sense of clarity, like when you're down to the final moments of your life, you're not going to spend time talking about trivial things like the playoffs last night that failed to deliver for all of us, right? If you made time like I did in my schedule, right? Those things kind of go to the wayside and what comes to the surface are the things that are the most important things. And so there's some things that Paul, who is in prison, he is in Rome, All of Asia, it says in chapter 4, has departed him. So he is in a Roman prison. He is alone. And these are his last words to his true son in the faith, Timothy, who was really stepping into a role and assignment that was bigger than him. So there was real temptation to fear. There was a real temptation to be overwhelmed. And in these moments, God wanted Timothy to be most aware of some certain things. And so I want you to understand as we're talking about remembering things, the reason that this letter can make a difference in our perspective is because it doesn't gloss over pain and suffering and discomfort in any way, but it also highlights some other things that we need to be more aware of as we live out our story. So I want to I share with you, I mean, most of us understand from our own perspective that if you even think back to your childhood, the things that we tend to remember most of the time are the negative emotions, the things that caused us pain. And there is both a, a real physiological and a psychological reason to that. I came across an article this week from um, the New York Times. It's called Praise is Fleeting, but Brickbats We Recall. So I want to share a couple of findings, both in psychology and in our neuroscience. Clifford Nass, a professor of communication at Stanford University, says this. He says, some people do have a more positive outlook, but almost everyone remembers negative things more strongly and in greater detail. There are physiological as well as psychological reasons for this. The brain handles positive and negative information in different hemispheres. Negative emotions generally involve more thinking, and the information is processed more thoroughly than positive ones. He said, thus we tend to ruminate more about unpleasant events and use stronger words to describe them than happy ones. So this is a universal human experience to magnify the painful events in our life. He, he then he goes on to quote another professor who says, this is the normal things that take place in a workplace. She said that the negative effects of a setback at work on happiness was more than twice as strong as the positive effect of an event that signaled process. So this means that most of the time we are hardwired in the core of our humanity to remember the painful things to process things in terms of things that aren't going well in our lives. So that's our natural human response. But as gospel people, as people that have Jesus that has come in the flesh, that has abolished death and brought life and immortality um, to bear in our souls, there's a way that God wants us to remember and interpret life regardless of the difficulties that we're going through. So what is a a God-honoring response look like? Not only does our, um, our bodies 
and our minds process pain this way. But there's also an enemy of our souls that wants us to focus on the things that we lack instead of the things that God has provided. Um, In his book, Truth About Lies and Lies About Truth, David Tackle says this. He says, All of us are living within a story that contains many characters, interwoven plots and innumerable events and messages that hold meaning for us. How do we make sense of the data? How are we, as the main character in our story, related to God? What does the story teach us of hope and life? The key to the mystery lies in our interpretation of the storyline. And part of Satan's grand strategy involves interpreting our own story for us in terms of chaos and destruction and hopelessness. So if the primary thing going on in your story, as you look back in 2018, is chaos, destruction, and hopelessness, that is the presence and the work of the enemy of your soul. With those misconceptions and outright deceptions... He, Satan, ensures that the lead character is repeatedly led astray. Only when truth breaks into the scene and reinterprets our story can the frustration and the bondage be altered. The story takes on a new dimension of hope and redemption that only God has the wisdom to tell. So as we look at the book of 2 Timothy over the next few moments, this is about... Not just us telling our story, but God telling our story to us. The things that he wants us to be most aware. I went through this exercise probably about two weeks ago. And this was a whole new idea for me. I've always been able to tell my story with God in the picture. But have you ever tried to tell your story from God's perspective? What does God see as he sees the events of 2018 in your life? What's his perspective? What's his heart as you've walked through suffering? What's his heart as you've struggled? What's his heart as you've had joy and um, experienced triumph? All of these things are meant to help us to begin to train our minds to think in a way that honors God and helps us live as people of hope. It would be totally natural at this point of Paul's life to think that his life was an utter and complete failure. All of Asia had departed him. He was in a Roman prison. He was at the end of his life. And his perspective in those moments, though, weren't captivated primarily by his circumstances, but by the reality of God. And it's supposed to be the same for us all. For everyone in this room, 2018 was uh, a year that was mixed with both uh, joy and sorrow, pleasure and pain, victories and setbacks. And God, in in the midst of all of this, wants us to be able to have a sanctified memory that we would understand and be able to retell our stories in such a way that reflects who God is. So we're going to look at five things that God wants us to remember from the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to not jump into them all that deeply, but I think this will help give us a a good picture of what actual reality is. And this is, when we talk about remembering, this is deeper than just bringing to mind. All throughout Scripture, God tells His people to put up memorial stones so that they bring things to mind so that it brings them strength and hope. It's not just enough to be able to remember true things, but it's it's being able to remember true things in such a way that it actually guides the undergirding belief system of our lives and leads us into an experience 
of truth. And the first one we're going to look at is remember your spiritual relationships. Remember your spiritual relationships. Chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, and a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So, At this moment, Timothy would be tempted to feel alone, right? His mentor is in prison, is at the end of his life. But he said, listen, I want you to understand that you have a spiritual story and a spiritual legacy. I want you to know that your faith is a multi-generational faith. I want you to remember that there are people that have poured into your life. Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, they have been faithful. So if you're here this morning and you have had parents that have poured the gospel into you, what a rich privilege that is, right? That, that you have a spiritual story that someone has shared Jesus with you. That's something worth celebrating. And then for others in the room, right? I mean, your story is different. But not only did maybe God didn't use a Lois or a Eunice, but he also used other people to share the good news of Jesus with you. Maybe over and over and over again. That's my own story. I, I grew up, I, I, my mom had faith in Jesus, but it never made any difference in my life. But as I began to encounter other people for whom Jesus made a difference, I began slowly to pay attention and then my soul came alive. So this is about recognizing the reality of the spiritual relationships that God has given to you. We all have spiritual fathers and mothers that have poured the word of God into us in 2018. People that have taken time to care about us and to support us and to build us up in the faith. Those are parts of our stories that sometimes we tend to leave out. Our, our own stories are not a solo cameo appearance, but they are the fruit of multiple people using the gifts that God has given them to pour into our story. So instead of the loneliness having the headline, what God wants you to be aware of is the reality that there are lots of people in your life that love you and care about you. Not only this, but the, the reality is... Um, Paul is highlighting his relationship with Timothy. There is a real gospel partnership that's taking place between Paul and Timothy. Paul is the spiritual father. Timothy is the spiritual son. And, I mean, he's like, I want you to know that I remember you with tears. I remember the faith that you have. And so... He, he wants to draw attention to the, the reality of gospel partnerships. If you are a part of this church, you are part of a gospel partnership where people care about your soul and are linking arms together to see the gospel go forward. I, I mean, I took time this week just to do this. I am a relationally rich man of an elder team that loves me and cares for me and helps me not do stupid things all the time, right? I mean, they are so kind to me. And we're part of a leadership network with gospel community leaders that, listen, without pay, most of the time, without thanks, open up their home over and over again 
That is a gift from God to us all that people serve us countless times with their life, with their gifts. And there are people in your own story that have taken time to love you and care about you and to build you up in your faith, probably when you couldn't continue on your own. Those are the things that need to have the highlight, despite the reality of pain and despite the reality of difficulty. The the thing that we can be most aware of is that God has sent us sustaining grace in the reality of other people. So as you look back, At 2018, remember your spiritual relationships. The second thing that Paul wants Timothy to remember is the Holy Spirit's activity in his life. So remember, God's Spirit lives inside you, right? This this isn't just some abstract theological truth. This is the reality that the God of the universe has chosen to come and take up residence inside of his people. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So at this point of the story, Timothy has a choice to make. Fear, worry, anxiety can have the headline, right? I mean, he is taking up the mantle of the most successful church planner and apostle in church history, right? I mean, there's a real natural cause for anxiety. But what God wants him to be most aware of in these moments is, listen, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, some translations say, or fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. The Spirit of God is meant to have the, hot, the headline in the people of God. And so, I don't know, I mean, I grew up watching um, The Roadrunner. Anybody? I, I'm old. I'm, I'm getting there, right? So, The Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote, right? And so, this is the only the place that I have this imagery. But he says, you need to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit. We all, if you've placed your faith in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. But this is kind of the image of a, a billows that, that makes a fire grow. And the only place I've ever really seen one is in the Roadrunner. So that just came to mind. But we're meant to stoke the flame of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it swallows up the fear and the anxiety in our lives. One way, that, I mean, yeah, I mean, oftentimes, like, I mean, even in my own life, I can think about I hear this voice and it tempts me to fear and anxiety and worry. I'm like, is that the Lord? And it's really easy from this passage to say, no, he didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but he gave us a spirit of love and of power and of self-control. And he said, he's reminding Timothy, he said, there was a, a point in time when I laid my hands on you and you received the gift of God. This was a spiritual milestone for Timothy, right? And as you look back on 2018, I bet you there were some spiritual milestones. When God broke in, right, from in the midst of your everyday ordinary existence, and he did things that were unexpected to you. We're meant to take those things and set them up as a stone of remembrance so that we can remember and bring to mind the reality that God has been at work. 
Paul wanted Timothy to know that even though he was stepping into his shoes, that God had actually equipped him to do the things that God had called him to do. And so that God had used him. Listen, God has used every person in this room in 2018, right? There's no such thing as an unuseful Christian. You have the Spirit of God, whether you are aware of it or not. Every room that you walk into, you bear the aroma of Christ, for some people, it is the aroma of life, and for some people, it is the aroma of death. But you carry in your very presence the aroma of Christ. And so I just want, to, I want you to think through your own story this year. Right? Think about the prayers that you've prayed for other people. Those are a direct means that God has used you to build up other people. Think about the times that you've taken to encourage other people. Think about the times that you have invested in your own soul. All of those things are evidence that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and we are meant to fan those things into flame. Listen, if you are a parent, (laughs) He has used you imperfectly to represent Him to your children. If you are a spouse, and you are in any way trying to press closer together instead of further apart, that is the Spirit of God that is working in you. If you are a student here, and you have in any way wanted to be a good reflection of Him, that's evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you. Remember, God has used you in 2018, and He will use you again. Although... We can tend to define our circumstances by the absence of God. Our lives are filled with the activity of God. We just oftentimes do not recognize it as such. So God wants us to remember the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The next thing that Paul wants Timothy to remember is a a thread that runs throughout the entire book. Turn over to chapter 2. Remember the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as is preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. This is the good news. The word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So remember the gospel, Timothy. Can you imagine, right? I mean, you are a protege of the apostle Paul. You have spent time with him. You have labored with him. And his encouragement to you is to remember the gospel. Why do you think that is? Because it is the most important thing. And we tend to forget the most important things over and over. The most important things become the things that we tend to assume or push to the background. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, listen, in the midst of all of the 
chaos that's going on in your own story in the midst of the fact that I'm bound and I'm in chains and I'm in prison. I want you to remember Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that he's raised from the dead. I want you to remember the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. And that makes all the difference as you evaluate your story in 2018. And it makes all the difference as we look forward in 2019, the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. There is no better news that I can have for you this morning then he has defeated death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of Jesus. And so as we look back, he has been faithful in the gospel to us. But the only thing that will keep us as we look forward to 2019 is keeping the gospel at the center of our story, right? We tend to be people that have gospel amnesia. We forget the most important things. But listen, Jesus is alive. So so what he's highlighting here is the fact that God is powerful in your story. He's not impotent. He's not distant. He's actually entered into the story. And his power is manifested in the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead. So this means no matter what you have gone through this year, it is not the end of your story. Jesus Christ is alive. We will live with him forever. Not only that, but he, has, he uses this phrase, he's risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. This is highlighting that the God of the Bible, this is the offspring of David. This is the promise of the Old Testament, that generation after generation of people God has been faithful to. He has worked out his salvation plan over all of his story throughout all of the Old Testament, throughout all of the New Testament, through over 2,000 years of church history. That's what's true for the people of God. He has been faithful. And the God that has been faithful will be faithful again. And this is the good news. Look down at verse 13. Like you could build your life on this verse. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful for He cannot deny himself. This is the reality that regardless of our faithfulness to God, God is always faithful to us. And that's based on the fact that God has been faithful in and through the gospel. So when we stay close to that story and we allow that to shape who we are and how we see reality, it begins to strengthen us. The reason that we need to have a sanctified memory is because when we take these truths from like Bible study mode where you just kind of say, okay, this is something from the Old Testament. It's important to, this is the anchor of my soul. Like this makes a difference in the suffering that I'm walking through. This is actually what will prepare you for 2019 is the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He is powerful and he is faithful. He has been faithful and will be faithful to you regardless of your faithfulness to him. So God is working from generation to generation. Listen, let this bring you courage if you have a family member that you want to know more of the love of God. If you have someone that has not believed yet in the gospel, God is always, he's an expert in saving people. 
He knows how to get people exactly where he wants them from generation to generation. But then there's this one phrase in verse 10. He says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. All that verse simply says is God is the one that does the saving. Right? He's the one that comes into the story. He's the one that brings salvation. So in the midst of that, we can labor, we can pray, we can ask God, we can share the gospel. But at the end of the day, salvation is completely a work of God. And we can trust Him to do what only He can do. Because He is powerful. So underneath this kind of subheading of remembering the gospel, we also need to remember the power of the Word. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. A familiar verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So for Timothy, who would be tempted to be fearful, to be full of anxiety, he wanted, he wanted his true son in the faith to know that the power is in the word. God is the one that saves. God is the one that changes. And listen, all of us have benefited from the God-breathed nature of Scripture this year, right? If you have placed your faith in Jesus, there have been times when it moved from being words on a page to words that actually breathed life into you. This is God's design for us. It's not just to be able to, to know what's true about this book, which is absolutely essential, but it's beginning to let the truths of this book in the new year begin to shape who you are and begin to breathe life into the dead places of your soul and your story, right? I mean, if if we're going to do this thing together as a church, like, let's live as though this story is true. Let's live as if he is alive. Let's allow him to breathe life on those parts that are barren and on those parts that need life. That's what he is pleased to do. So remember the power of the word. Another thing I think that's helpful to us, and we'll we'll finish in just a few moments. You have to remember that the days are evil. Chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. There's a reality for the people of God that everyone that desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And oftentimes, suffering and darkness and those kinds of experiences... Throw us for a loop. But the reality is we live in an age that is characterized by the realities of first or second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five. But understand this that in the last days there will become times of difficulty. For people's will people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So ultimately, this is talking about the reality of false teachers 
that came into the church at Ephesus for whom Timothy was responsible. But this is what's true of our entire age. We live in an era that is characterized by love of self. And the way that that can help you interpret your story is when people love themselves, like some of that is going to splash up and affect your story. If you are following Jesus to the places that he has you to go, there is a 100% certainty that you will encounter darkness, that you will encounter brokenness, and that other people's sin and messiness will splash up on your life. And I'm going to be honest in my own story. Part of the reason that I get so thrown for a loop is because I forget this truth, right? I forget that as we enter into life with one another that we're going to judge one another. I forget that as we link arms together that we're actually going to let each other down. But the reality is as we process life from God's perspective, he uses not only the good things and the bad things as we're centered on him and we're centered on the gospel, he actually helps us grow and he actually continues to move us down the road. And so he can use the brokenness. But don't forget that the days are evil, right? This is not our home. This is not our final destination. This is not where we're meant to find our treasure or even our joy. This is just a pit stop on the reality to where we are headed. And I'll close with this. Remember, your reward is coming. Chapter 4, verse 6. This is Paul's last words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. The good news is that your story, that this world is not all that there is, that there is a world and a kingdom to come. There's going to be a day when the kingdom of our God breaks in and conquers over the kingdom of this world and sin and brokenness and death and decay will be no more. This is not our final destination. There is a crown of righteousness that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, for whatever you are walking through, He will personally and specifically reward you for. Right? That's supposed to give us perspective for the difficulties. It's not as if God is somehow indifferent. No, He is poised and waiting to reward us. He rewards us in the moment with sustaining grace, but there's going to come a day when everything is going to be wiped away and He's going to place a crown on your head and there will be great rejoicing. That is the future hope of the people of God. So he says, I have run my race. I have fought the fight. Like you have to understand that this is a race and that this is a fight and you have to stay engaged. Um, A couple or I guess sometime early December went to the St. Jude's Marathon. and, And what I was struck by was just the reality that they had signposts every mile so that people knew exactly where they were in the race because Probably, I mean, I can imagine if you're trying to run 26 miles that, that you need to know about where you are so you know how much energy you need to finish the race. This whole letter is so that you know where you are in the story. This is not home. 
right? This is part of our story, but this is not where we are headed. There's going to be a day when you cross the finish line. That is what we are living for. That is what we long for. And this crown of righteousness is for everyone that loves and longs for his appearing. So we want to be those people. Yes, thank you for the gifts this week that we've been able to enjoy with friends and family. But it is just a shadow of what God has awaiting for us. A crown of righteousness awaits all of those that have placed their faith in Jesus. And you may be here this morning and none of this sounds... (laughs) like anything you've ever experienced. The invitation for you this morning is to lay hold of Christ. He is inviting you to come and to experience real life from him. The only way that that happens is by turning away from living your own story and seeing what he's done on the cross and the fact that God's raised him from the dead. As you do that, I mean, there's going to be real life and real purpose and meaning infused into your life. And you get to join this family of God for whom Christ died. So as you look back at 2018 and you look forward into 2019, remember well. Remember the highlights of the story. Remember who's writing the story. Remember that he will finish the good work that he's begun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have called us in these moments to remember well. I pray that for every person they would be flooded with You're well done in the midst of their story. I pray that you would sustain the weary. I pray that you would strengthen the weak. I pray that you would fan into flame those that are running and sprinting. I pray that you would lay out motivation for us as we move to the new year, that there would be real grace for us in the future. Thank you for the privilege of doing this together. Thank you that we don't have to do this alone, but that we have this comfort that comes from you that we get to share with one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue to worship and celebrate the victory of Jesus, which ultimately looked like defeat. We're going to take communion together. It's where he laid down his life so that we could find ours. It's where he shed his blood so that we could experience new power, new affections. And so, um, yeah, I would just encourage you in these moments to let God... Tell your story from his perspective. As you go to the table, the bread represents his body that's broken. The cup represents his blood that's been shed. And just allow him to speak and do real ministry to you in the midst of this. Um, You don't have to be a member of this church to take place in this meal. You just have to know that you need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. Um, The front half of the room can come to the front two tables. The back half of the room can go to the back two tables and we'll return and we'll close in worship and in singing. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. You can come as your